The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you ever stopped to think that the best and worst place to live is in your mind? Think about it. We can create our own destiny or our own downfall. It all has to do with the way that we choose to think and see things. Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, with your host, Dr. Paula Joyce. Dr. Paula is here with her guest experts to show you just how to change that negative way of thinking and see your world in a positive light. Now, here is Dr. Paula. Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and I'm grateful to be here with you and for you today. You are all part of a global community with fellow listeners in literally every corner of the world. Thank you for being here with and for me and for continuing to spread the word to your friends, relatives, and colleagues. And a special note of gratitude goes this week to our listeners around the world in Ireland, South Africa, and Iran, and in the states of Michigan, Arizona, and Maryland. Welcome and thank you for your continuing support because you keep tuning in and listening. Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit is a top-ranked show here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network, the oldest and most widely listened to online talk radio network. Thank you for listening and making this show success possible. For June through September, at the beginning of every show, I led you through three exercises to help stop the natural disasters that have been plaguing the earth. While helping Mother Earth to clear the negative energy, we were also clearing ourselves of fears and other harmful energies. That critical time for doing that is past. Those techniques, however, are still helpful for clearing yourself of negative energies. You can continue to do them by going to my website, paulajoyce.com, and listening to any of those on-demand shows. I'm replacing that beginning segment with a new one. Each week, I'll share a different tip from my ebook, 33 Tips for Self-Empowerment. This is important because when you are self-empowered, you are connected to your soul. As you learn to hear the still, small voice within over the loud voices of others, you will begin to feel at peace. The ideas in my ebook will help you do this with more joy, ease, and grace. Your tip for this week is be positive. The person we judge the most is ourselves. Listen for the ways in which you criticize yourself and others. When you think or hear a negative thought, turn it into a positive one. For instance, replace I'm stupid with I know a lot of things. The more positive you become in your thoughts, words, and deeds, the better your life will become. Each thought, word, and action takes you closer to 
or farther away from your dreams. I have been so pleased with the response I'm getting to my workshops that I'm going to continue to offer one a month. Next month, my new workshop is The Answers Lie Within. As I was trying to decide whether I wanted to do this particular workshop, one of my clients started quoting Yoda and telling me how I sound like him. Then she said, you're always saying things like the answers lie within. Well, that was clearly the answer to my question. Yes, it is definitely right timing for me to do this workshop now. And recognizing messages from the universe like this, This one is one technique I'll be sharing. We truly do have all the answers within us. In this instance, the universe was reminding me to trust my inner guidance. The problem is is that there are so many voices in our head that it's difficult to determine which voice is our authentic one. Some voices tell us what we should and shouldn't do and what we're good at and not good at, especially when we're under stress. It's easy to feel confused or give in to loud, demanding voices. Learning to hear and trust our limitless higher self, our soul, our essence is essential to our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. It's also the path to self-empowerment. In this experiential workshop, you will access your limitless higher self, your soul. Learn how to hear and trust your own voice. Discover new insights, release stress, fear, and doubts. Gain new energy and freedom. Increase your joy and peace of mind. Make decisions with ease, trust, and self-confidence. Know that you are following your own truth. We will meet at the Center for Spiritual Living in Dallas, Saturday, October 24th. That's this Saturday from 2 to 3.30. Choosing to be positive, choosing to think, see, feel, and act in new and healthier ways is the heart of Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. We all have choices, but we can't make the best choices for ourselves if we don't know what the options are. This show provides you with new information on health and healing with an emphasis on spirituality and the connection between our thoughts, emotions, and physical and mental health. We can all choose happiness, gratitude, and positivity as we allow ourselves to know the truth of our own experiences and feel the pain of our past or present life and let it go. We open ourselves up to the joy of being fully alive in every moment. We change the energy in our body and literally become younger and healthier, feel lighter, and have more energy. We truly know and feel the joy, beauty, and love in our lives. My show helps you do that by providing you with new information, perspectives, and techniques, inspirational stories, and guests who are thought leaders in their field, like our returning guest today, Dr. James Garbarino, who will talk with us about how to save violent boys. In fact, I already received an email from Cindy who wrote, Wow, James Garbarino? I think he is brilliant. I heard him speak many years ago when I was a graduate student. I still remember being wowed. I agree, Cindy. I felt that way when he was on my August 27th show to talk about his new book. In fact, that's why I invited him back. 
Ken, another regular listener, sent me this email. All your shows are so interesting. I usually listen on demand and often while I'm in the car. I especially like your essays at the beginning of the show. They're always so thoughtful and informative and well put together. I want to thank both of these listeners for taking the time to write me, and I encourage all of you to do the same. Last week, we had another wonderful program with a returning guest, Dr. Marty Loring, who talked with us about recognizing and healing from coercion. Because coercion is such a strong word, I put it in a category of what other people experience, maybe people who have been incarcerated. As we talked, however, I became more and more clear that subtle and even silent forms of coercion take place in many relationships. In most marriages, for instance, the man controls the money even when both partners work. Silent disapproval without love or lack of positive comments, I'm sorry, withholding love or lack of positive comments are covert forms of coercion that many people experience in intimate relationships. In fact, Dr. Loring quotes a recent study which found that 41% of women have experienced coercion and 10% have done so in the last 12 months. If you missed this show or Dr. James Garbarino's first show, please go to my website, paulajoyce.com, and click on radio show at the top of the navigation to listen on demand to these or any previous shows that you missed or want to hear again. I just saw the movie Bridge of Spies, which is based on a true story. If you want to renew your faith in human nature, this is the movie to see. The lawyer, James Donovan, is truly inspirational. He knows what is morally right and is willing to stand by his principles, even in the face of opposition from government officials, the legal system, and the public. I just kept thinking that if there were more people like him in the world, people who believed that every person matters, We could eliminate abuse, violence, and war. Along these same lines, I heard just the other day that a new study showed that one-on-one talk therapy is more effective than just giving drugs to people with schizophrenia. I was shocked that we needed a study to prove this. We have so dehumanized people with psychological difficulties that we think we can medicate them and give up on their truly getting better or even be high-functioning members of society. At the same time, we tolerate and even reward people who are emotionally and psychologically abusive. We separate the way they treat people from their ability to achieve good results in the workplace. The bottom line, however, does not make the damage that they do to individuals okay. It's instructive to note that the key to successful treatment of schizophrenics is helping them learn resilience. Interestingly enough, this is also a key 
to helping children who grow up with abuse. Growing up with abuse causes you to have a distorted and negative sense of your capabilities. You don't believe in your abilities to succeed. Children tend to respond with anger, sadness, fear, helplessness, and hopelessness because children don't know what to do with those feelings. They turn them inward or outward. Rarely are they able to manage them on their own. When they turn those feelings inward, they become sad, have trouble doing their homework, and paying attention in class. They appear to be lacking in intelligence or lazy or can be misdiagnosed as learning disabled, ADD, or depressed. As they get older, they sometimes turn to drugs or act out sexually. In other words, they tend to harm themselves and or just give up on themselves. They adopt behaviors that prove that they are worthless and incompetent. Sometimes they make a different choice and set out to prove that they are not incompetent. They develop a false persona, become successful in their careers, but never feel any joy, love, or satisfaction in what they do and achieve. Alternatively, some turn their feelings outward with violent outbursts that could be verbal and or physical. This path often leads to illegal behaviors, incarceration, and sometimes murder. Although boys tend to turn their anger outward and become violent, this is not always the case. I have had a number of abused male clients who are very kind and sensitive men. Instead of turning to violence themselves, they found abusive partners who hurt them. One man never even felt anger until he was 60. We were working together when for the first time he felt and expressed his anger. He had been misdiagnosed with depression and codependency. As we worked together, step by step, he became more self-empowered. He divorced his abusive wife, got off his antidepressants, left a career he disliked for a career that brings him great pleasure. Another man turned to a Addiction was working for an abusive family member and owed large sums of money when we started working together. He has been sober, sober for several years now, has learned new ways of viewing his life experiences, has left his abusive relationships and paid off his debts. Currently, he invests his money wisely, enjoys his job, and is working on developing a healthy love relationship. A new client quickly realized the source of his inability to act on his goals. His parents never said they were proud of him and were always pointing out what he should have done differently in order to be better. The message he got was loud and clear. You're incompetent, so why bother trying? You're just going to fail. The good news is that like this client, once we realize the source of our self-destructive behaviors, we can change the negative thoughts that were planted in our minds, feel the sadness and cry, and feel the anger turn it into righteous indignation and act on our own behalf to create the life we want. One client recently told me that he finally stopped seeing his mother as a victim and realized that he had been the victim. 
as a child sitting in his room waiting to be beaten every night. He had always been more focused on how he could help his mother stop drinking than how he had been terrorized and traumatized as a child. As is often the case, the silver lining in an abusive childhood is learning compassion for other people and finally, compassion for himself. His second silver lining is that he learned some high-level social skills because he often had to step in for his parent to smooth over their problems. He had to become the adult in a family where the parents couldn't take care of themselves, let alone children. To heal, we must learn to value our strengths, nurture ourselves, and become the parent we never had. I am certain that this person will find even more silver linings as he continues to heal. If we're particularly lucky, someone notices our pain and sees under the maladaptive behaviors. They become a mentor, an advocate, or get us the help that we need to heal. The earlier that there is an intervention, the better chance there is to have success. And our guest today is the expert in this area. Dr. James Garbarino holds the Maud C. Clark Chair in Humanistic Psychology and was founding director of the Center for the Human Rights of Children at Loyola University, Chicago. He was formerly Professor of Human Development at Cornell University and is a Fellow of the American Psychological Association. He has served as an advisor to the National Committee to Prevent Child Abuse, the National Institute for Mental Health, the American Medical Association, the U.S. Advisory Board on Child Abuse and Neglect, and the FBI. Dr. Garbarino is a prolific writer and sought-after speaker. He is best known for his book, Lost Boys, Why Our Sons Turn Violent and How We Can Save Them, and his latest book, Listening to Killers, Lesson Learned from My 20 Years as a Psychological Expert Witness in Murder Cases. You're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor. While listening to the commercials, click on the link to read about and register for my workshop, The Answers Lie Within. Then click on Store to purchase my ebook, 33 Tips for Self-Empowerment. Then go to Calendar of Events to see your question for today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Dr. James Garbarino to talk about saving our violent boys. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. For a fresh perspective, from leadership development to team building and re-imaging your mission, 
Dr. Paula has game-changing speeches and presentations crafted just for you. She has helped leading experts solve their key challenges and can help you too while reducing stress and increasing your profitability. With Dr. Paula, you will find common ground in innovative solutions. Start now with a free consultation. Call Dr. Paula, the life doctor, today at 214-208-3533 or visit paulajoyce.com. Be the best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session. Dissolve hidden barriers to your goals, solve your most challenging problems, and unleash your inner power. Visit PaulaJoyce.com or call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, at 214-208-3533 to find out more and to schedule your free consultation. Whether it's individual or group, business or personal, attain success with ease. Mention that you heard this on Uplift Your Life and receive 10% off your first service. Call 214-208-3533 or visit PaulaJoyce.com today. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I always appreciate hearing from you, my listeners, and as a top-ranked show, when you choose to advertise with me, you reach a lot of people. If this interests you or if you want to become part of the conversation today, please call one 472 5795 or email Joyce at gmail.com now or between shows. I value you and what you have to say, so please let us know what's on your mind and heart. I hope you wrote down ways that you can help boys who exhibit violent behavior. And we're here with Dr. James Garbarino to talk about saving our violent boys. Welcome. It's so good to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I was wondering if you would be willing to talk with us about your personal experience and what got you interested in this topic. Well, it is a long story, uh, and I think it's an unfolding story, as you many times said, that you don't get a final answer to your life. Uh, you keep uh, getting the final answer and it becomes the start of uh, another discovery process and you learn more. So I I think for me, there are a couple of things that looking back on it certainly um, were important in going down this path. Uh, One was uh, when I was in college, um, you know, I was in the ROTC, the Reserve Officer Training Corps, and as undergraduates, we got to volunteer in missions and um, I remember going out in one night on a mission to, uh, we, as the undergraduates, we were supposed to be the enemy, setting up an ambush for the upperclassmen who were having their sort of exam on military tactics. What I remember, though, was before we went out, we were told, um, 
were given blanks for our rifles and told that although they were blanks, they were actually dangerous. You can blind somebody if you shoot at them at close range. Mm-hmm. And we all sort of understood that intellectually, but <clears throat> that night when the ambush began out in the woods in the dark, um, it really became emotionally real. And, um, you know, the un- upperclassmen charged our position and a bunch of us were so panicked we stood and fired at them with our blanks and at close range um, and I know that we would have killed them if we had, if we could have at that point. And I think that experience really sparked in me this understanding that uh, there is no us and them, you know, it's all we. And um, so when I've approached the lives of killers, I've always done it with a certain humility that you know, there but for the grace of God go I. So that's certainly one thing, that to see that you know, we're all part of the same human community there's not two communities, the violent and the nonviolent. The other certainly is that as, as I aged, I got more and more understanding about the you know, darker issues within myself, darker issues within my family. And so often, you know, when I'm talking with somebody in a murder case, I find some little speck of connection uh, between the dark side of my life and the darker side of their lives. So that, too, has promoted a kind of uh, humility and a kind of uh, stance of empathy with respect to them, which leads to a respect for their humanity and hopefully an effort to understand them and to help get them on a path to transformation and rehabilitation. Thank you for sharing that because um, I I, I think that it's so important that... um, that we understand the underpinnings of what um, what creates our lifelong path, and that at so many points we can turn one way or another, and that you know you chose a path of empathy and helping people, and you talk in your book about um, the circle of morality. And the dark side. And I was wondering if you would, because you've already touched on that in terms of um, having a gun and wanting to kill somebody who's running at you and wants to take your life. So I I think it's a natural segue into that topic. Well, I do think that... uh it's always important to recognize the circle of caring within which our highest moral values apply and outside of which we don't tend to see things even as moral issues. Uh, And this is one reason why people can hold what seem to be incompatible views on things. They may, they're pro-life, but they're in favor of the death penalty because in effect they say, uh, if you do certain things, you're outside my circle of caring, and this value of life no longer applies to you. And that's, you know, that's a big issue. It's a small issue. And generally, the bigger our circle of caring, the more beings, not even just human beings, but other beings we include inside that circle, the more we're called to a, a higher a moral standard in as many minutes of the day as we can manage and also aspire for more. Whereas if we have very small circle of caring, and some of the killers I've interviewed have very small circles of caring, that if you're inside that circle, they may treat you, you know, with an ethical stance. But most people are not inside that circle, and their circle has gotten very small, often as a sort of defensive strategy against the abuse and the deprivation 
and the darkness that they experience, and this is a survival mechanism. But, of course, one of the ways of getting better from that is to be drawn into a bigger and bigger circle and and eventually, you know, to have the kind of universal caring that most of our faith traditions teach us we should have. So I think that circle of caring is a very important way to understand why people can hold even similar values about killing but favor very different policies, uh, act in very different ways on a, a day-to-day basis. Um, so it is a central concept for me and one that I think you can see one of the goals of rehabilitation being to broaden that circle as wide as possible. Of course, you know, that the people on the outside have the same obligation that people often assume that, well, in fact, there's a, I was reading some research recently that people who believe in absolute evil, if they're on a jury, they tend to disregard mitigating evidence uh, about uh, a crime. That they, in effect, say, I don't care where you came from or where you're headed or what, what else is going on. I'm making an absolute judgment based on what you did. And that in itself is an impediment, I think, to a, a more progressive, caring community, which understands that people do get off on dead ends and dark paths, but recognizes uh, how they get there and why they could come back into the light. I, I think that's beautifully said. And as you were talking about the circle of um, of caring, what um, came to my mind is how hard it is for someone who's grown up with abuse to trust anybody because the people who they were supposed to be able to trust to care for them, love them, feed, clothe them, nurture them, have hurt them. And so if you can't trust your parents or the people who raised you, who can you trust? Yeah, I think that is a good point, that the trust is is at the core of it. And, of course, in a sense, the opposite of trust here is fear. And... Certainly, as a society, you know, we've, we've certainly become a very fear-based society, and trust withers in the face of fear. Uh, some of that clearly does, for individual lives, does come out of you know, the earliest uh, uh, experiences. You know, I, when I teach child development, I'm always talking about how early on developing a secure, positive attachment becomes a template, becomes a uh, a model that you use for future relationships. Or Eric Erickson <clears throat> talked about you know trust versus mistrust as the first challenge in human life. And clearly, people who don't aren't helped to trust early on. Um, you know, they they turn they turn to themselves. They turn to anyone who comes along who uh, uh, offers something to them. So they become very unreliable in that way. And I've certainly interviewed guys who clearly put their, you know, didn't have fundamental trust, and they put their eggs in the wrong baskets, uh, men and women, with often different consequences. So I think that is central, but the other other side of it is fear, that living your life defensively because of fear, because you don't trust, is, uh, leads to all kinds of bad social policies and bad decisions. I think, you know, some of the problems we have as society being a gun culture are related to that climate of fear that people 
uh, don't trust their fellow human beings. They don't trust the institutions of their society. And so they would draw into this defensive posture in which having a gun seems plausible. But of course, as we know, having a gun in your house is basically a delusion because if you think you're safer, uh, you're putting your trust in the wrong thing. Because having a gun in your house is most likely going to lead, if it leads to anything, it's going to lead to killing yourself or someone you care about, not defending your home against a stranger. So this dialogue between trust and fear is certainly one of the central dynamics in, in the societal life as well as the individual lives of these guys I've worked with. Well, and, and having a gun in your house also teaches your child or children that violence is the answer. Of course, of course. And uh, then we're surprised when they uh, implement that lesson. It's, uh, it's, you know, I was reading a study recently, I don't know if you saw this, done by some anthropologists. They looked at the content of auditory hallucinations, that is, voices that schizophrenics hear in their head. And they looked at what the voices told them in three different cultures. In the United States, of the 20 schizophrenics they, they studied, 14 of them heard voices that told them to commit violence against themselves or others. In India, it was only four out of the 20. In the African country of Ghana, it was only two out of the 20. So I mean, this is very telling to me that even people who we think are disconnected from reality because they're schizophrenic, are actually tuned into very important parts of reality, like the dominating cultural image of violence in America that seeps into even to these uh, auditory hallucinations. And that's very disturbing, but I think it comes out of the same, the same uh, gun culture and the culture of violence that we all uh, are embedded in here. Well, and yes, and what you're saying makes so much sense because uh, if you listen to the radio, television, you don't even have to read a paper, uh, the, the um, internet, anywhere you turn, there's this constant harping on violence as opposed to uplifting positive stories of people helping each other, being kind to each other. We're inundated with the negativity and the harm that we do to each other, which just reinforces it. Yeah, I remember a study a number of years ago that found a pretty strong correlation between the number of hours of TV people watch and how fearful they are when they go out their front door. You know, in the media they have the slogan, if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, and that certainly is, you know, more and more true. And, you know, they, even the modern research on the malleability of the adult brain speaks to the fact that, you know, that old, uh, that old joke, you are what you eat, that your brain sort of does become what you experience. And if we saturate our brains with images of violence and ideas about violence and terror and fear, Brains adapt to that because brains are in an interactive relationship with experience. They're both the cause and the effect of experience. Um, you know, the research is very clear. If you watch a lot of hardcore pornography, your brain actually adapts to that, and the way you then respond to sexual stimuli is shaped by that pornographic content. So, yeah, I think you're right. We have to be very vigilant about our cultural intake because not only does it affect the content of our thoughts and feelings, but the very brain structures that are used to think and feel. 
Um, so I'm certainly with you on that. And I know, you know, for someone, you know, listening to your case reports, looking at my own professional work, it's a real struggle when you have to immerse yourself in so much darkness and pain and suffering that you need to really, I think, do two things. One, have a compensatory uh, life of light and and joy to to wash it away and to do, you know, cleansing exercises, but also you need to see that in the work you're doing that it's it's a step towards rehabilitation and transformation. And I listening to you talk about your, your cases, I, I certainly hear that in your work and it's something I certainly aspire to in mine. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. And and yes, I also do the other things, too, of cleansing and a spiritual life. And I, I, and I also paint. <laughs> oh, good for you. <laughs> yes, we, we do. We all have to have that because we all need the balance of um, bringing joy into our lives in whatever way that is. Um, and I, I, just getting to... Um, Going back to your Lost Boys um, book, and you, t- which was published in 1999, so 16 years ago, you were talking about the mass killings, and it, it uh, um, and I'm thinking here we are today, still experiencing this. What has changed? How is it that we haven't learned anything or enough? to be able to change this and stop this level of violence. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about that a lot lately. A student and I are writing a paper on mass killings and I'm trying to get up to date on, on new things that have been learned. Um, one of the things that is most interesting things, I was reading an article recently by Malcolm Gladwell, who's you know, a very creative <laughs> thinker. Yes. He points out that that part of the complexity in dealing with this issue, particularly when it comes to school killers, is that early on there were sort of, if you will permit, it sounds like a bizarre idea, but pioneers in school shooting who sort of figured out the the model for this, the cultural framework for this, the scheme for this, or the, the script for this. Uh, and But since then, you know, and... People often speak of the Columbine shooting in 1999 as when this sort of came to fruition. Since then, it takes less and less ingenuity, less and less sort of diabolical intent to, to go down that path because the script has already been written for you. So I think that, you know, when I was in high school in the, in the early 60s, we had troubled, angry, troubled kids but they didn't have the same clear idea of what you do with that that kids now have. And so we're seeing, you know, the United States has a highly disproportionate number of these mass killings, including the school shootings. Uh, they're made particularly lethal by the access to weapons. But there is this, there has emerged this sort of script on what you do with those feelings if you're a young person, particularly a young male, is frustrated, and they're often sexually frustrated. And and so that one thing I think we've learned is that the uh, of what it took, the entry-level difficult problems to become a school shooter, a mass killer, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 16 years ago, have now changed a bit, and the entry level is sort of easier in a way. 
because you don't have to dream up what to do with those feelings. It's laid out for you on the Internet, in movies. I was interviewing a boy recently, a 14-year-old boy who, you know, obviously very troubled and disturbed, but he latched on to the idea of becoming a serial killer. That was his destiny. And, you know, he didn't have to go far to get tutorials on how to do this and and movie after movie after movie after television show um, you know it's like if you wanted to learn to play the piano uh, you know the instruction books are there and they were the instruction books all around him for becoming a serial killer and that is a very disturbing trend and I don't think we've come to terms with it yet because we still have the idea that whatever content anybody wants to put out into the community you know, can be sent out there without regard for its cumulative effect, particularly on vulnerable, troubling, troubled kids. So um, it's very disturbing, and I, I hope we're going to get on top of this in the coming years. Well, I hope so, too. And we're uh, this is a good place to take a break, but I'd, I, I like that word, tutorials. I'd love to talk about how we can create tutorials or society in which we help these children who are headed in the wrong direction to change the course of their lives so that we don't have these um, uh, the consequences of violent behavior. So thank you so much for being here. I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, and you're listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. While you're listening to the commercials, click on the link to sign up for my newsletter. You will receive the free chapter on my ultimate creative problem-solving process from my best-selling book, which will help you release hidden fears and barriers to hearing your soul, your true self, your inner wisdom, and getting and getting what you truly want in life. You will also get advance notice about every show episode and the on-demand show sent directly to you. Now on your paper, write down what programs are needed in your neighborhood to help boys who exhibit violent behavior. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Dr. James Garbarino to talk more about saving our violent boys. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Be the best that you can be. Dr. Paula invites you to meet with her for a -a one-of-a-kind breakthrough coaching session. Dissolve hidden barriers to your goals, solve your most challenging problems, and unleash your inner power. Visit PaulaJoyce.com or call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, at 214-208-3533 to find out more and to schedule your free consultation. Whether it's individual or group, business or personal, attain success with ease. Mention that you heard this on Uplift Your Life and receive 10% off your first service. Call 214-208-3533 or visit PaulaJoyce.com today. Time for a fresh perspective from leadership development to team building and re-imaging your mission. Dr. Paula has game-changing speeches and presentations crafted just for you. She has helped leading experts solve their key challenges and can help you too while reducing stress and increasing your profitability. With Dr. Paula, you will find common ground in innovative solutions. Start now with a free consultation. Call Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor, today at 214-208-3533 or visit paulajoyce.com. 
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. And I'm your host, Dr. Paula, the Life Doctor. Welcome back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. I hope that you wrote down what programs are needed in your neighborhood to help boys who exhibit violent behavior. And I'm so glad we're here to talk with more with Dr. James Garbarino on this very topic. Um, it, it, Jim, I was wondering... Um, how, okay, we, we understand what's going on and that a lot of this has to do with our society and uh, as exemplified by the study you mentioned on schizophrenics. So how can we turn things around for children who are headed in the wrong direction? What components do we need and how do we get this in place? Well, I think one starting point, one very important starting point, is if we accept the proposition that in most violent boys and men, the best way to start understanding them is as untreated, traumatized children who inhabit and control these scary teenagers and men. That can shift our thinking in the direction of what more and more is being called trauma-informed and trauma-sensitive education, therapy, services, uh, criminal justice, and so on. And once you see that what's in front of you, which may be angry, aggressive, hostile, is actually, you know, think of, even if it's a a 17-year-old or a 24-year-old in front of you, that think of it that there might be a untreated, traumatized three-year-old or four-year-old inside who's pulling the strings and running the show, and then you get a sense of why you need to respond uh, as you would to a hurt child to help them feel safe emotionally, to to help them be able to safely articulate their feelings, and then to uh, to deal with the way these feelings have affected their thinking and eventually their behavior. I'll give you an example. A colleague of mine was talking about a kid uh, who was uh, suspended from high school because he came to school high. He was smoking weed. Well, they just said, you know, you're coming late to school, you're high, you know, goodbye. But a trauma-informed perspective realized that to get from home to school, he had to go through some very dangerous neighborhood. And he was getting high, so he was calm enough to get to school. Mm. So had they seen that, they could have dealt with the getting high to come to school as, a, as an adaptation to the traumatic environment he lived in and had to, to manage to get to school, rather than just taking at face value this, this kid being late. And I think there are a lot of things like that, that an awful lot of angry teenagers are really sad. 
I think that a lot of uh, uh, impulsive, aggressive uh, young men are actually uh, having troubles with emotional regulation that comes from their trauma, trauma histories. So simply taking this trauma-informed approach, which says that you know, every bad behavior should Maybe it's not always the answer, but the initial hypothesis should always be, how does this come out of a traumatic background at home? How is this the result of an abusive family? How is this the result of emotional neglect? Just having that idea opens a lot of doors because it shifts your your understanding. More specifically, certainly, you know, uh, a lot of people have found that cognitive behavioral therapy, trauma-informed cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, can make uh, big advances for these kids. But I think also, um, you know, involving them in spiritual practices of meditation and reflection can sort of give them a place to stand in the universe, a place of calm and and trustful, positive, <laughs> joyful belief, which can give them a perspective on the rest of their lives. So I think there's, there's a lot can be done. Now, there, the other thing I think you know, we have to recognize is, uh, uh, you know, the teenage brain is evolving and maturing, and we need to protect them from those vulnerabilities. For example, the part of the brain that um, uh, sort of manages and feels sensations, including very positive sensations, uh, peaks in the mid-adolescence and sort of declines afterward. And that's one reason why 14, 15-year-olds are particularly prone to extremely excessive, dramatic, melodramatic emotional responses because their brains are set up for that. And so we need to try to keep them in as calm a state, as protected a state as we can. Uh, if we can't do that, then we need to come back and help them be safe and keep the community safe from them until they do mature. Um, you know, I'm speaking with a kid recently, a guy, a man now, but at 14, he committed a double murder, and, you know, he's been in prison for 14 years, and he says, look, he says, my life was so out of control, I was so out of control that if I hadn't gone to prison, I'd probably be dead. Uh, but now, recognizing 14 years later, he's matured, his brain's matured, he's gotten educated, he has a spiritual life, he's ready to move back into the community. But if we have these policies that say you do something like that and you either go on death row or you go life without parole, we're just flying in the face of, of what actually does happen in, in these transformations in many, many cases. So I think starting with the trauma-informed perspective and having a hopeful uh, aspiration, even for the most troubled and troubling kids, you know, is the way to begin. I, I love what you're saying, and, and part of what I heard there is not just to respond to the behavior, but to look underneath and not to make an automatic assumption that that you respond the same way to everybody who exhibits the same behavior, that each person is unique, and to work with that person to determine what's really going on and what do they need in order to change their behavior. It's not cookie cutter. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the good news and the bad news. It's the good news because it's the truth. It's the bad news because people, 
often don't want to hear that. They do want to have a cookie cutter. They do want to have a simple formula. You know, I, I sort of came out, came of age intellectually, uh, when I was a graduate student, you know, a long, long time ago with what's called an ecological perspective on human development. And in a sense, if you boil it down, it comes down to if you ask the question, does X cause Y, the best scientific answer is almost always it depends because the context differs, the background differs, temperament differs. And so this being, as you say, having this commitment to the individuality of each person in front of you it's certainly a precursor, maybe a prerequisite to really being able to help them in the way they need to be helped rather than the way, you know, your, your model of helping, if you just haphazardly apply it to everyone that comes in front of you, almost by definition, you're going to miss everyone for whom that model is not the most appropriate strategy. So I, I really agree with you that that, you know, it's, it's, it's this affirmation of the humanity of the other which implies that they have a right to be treated with dignity and individuality just as you do as a person. And and that's why I think I started by saying, you know, breaking down us and them and just seeing we is, is to me, a very important part of this. And it's something I, you know, I work at doing as best I can uh, by drawing on every little scrap of humanity and diversity within myself to, to make some connection with no matter who's sitting in front of me. And I think everyone can do that to some extent. And what a beautiful um, place to bring closure to this on a positive note. And that's uh, really what one of the gifts that you bring to this whole field. So thank you so much, Dr. Garbarino. I truly appreciate your being on the show and sharing your wisdom and your kindness with us. Well, I appreciate being with you. I, I love to hear your voice. Thank you so much. You have a beautiful day. Thanks. Take care. You too. And thank you all for joining us for Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. If you enjoyed today's show, please click on the link to like us on Facebook. Then click on the link to my resources page to my store to purchase the books Dr. Garbarino and my other guests and I have written. And then learn about my services, including coaching, speaking, energy healing, past life regressions, or to sponsor one of my experiential works workshops such as overcoming abuse through self-empowerment, 21 steps for healing the body, energy healing, ohm awakening, etc. And if you mention this show, you get a 10% new client discount on my coaching, which I do in person over Skype or on the phone. When you work with me, you get support, guidance, and healing from the spiritual realm. Literally thousands of angels and guides of a high and positive spiritual nature work through me and direct with my clients. My process connects your mind, heart, and spirit, resulting in faster progress and profound healing. Click on the link to register for my new workshop, The Answers Lie Within, then go to the calendar of events and press click here to send me an email with your commitment to yourself, your experiencing success, your unique um, life experience. Share that with us and inspiration stories. And next Thursday, please join us when Bill Phillips, 
talks with us about the messages of healing and hope that he receives from the other side. In the meantime, if you have a difficulty in your own life or have an inspirational story to share, please send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com or leave a phone message at 214-736-4460. I want to hear from you. This is Dr. Polly, your CM or chosen mom as designated by Bernie Siegel. Remember, you are loved. Just let that feeling wash over you and through you. Have a blessed week. Thank you for tuning in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Please join Dr. Paula Joyce and her guest experts next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until then, have a positive week. Music.